you know, I always told myself if I come up with a good idea, I'll give it a go. And it was the right time. I was like 25 and single. You know, my big problem was I could never get my laundry done. When Arik Levy founded Laundry Locker in 2005, it wasn't because he had a burning passion for laundry or lockers. He just didn't have time to dry clean his clothes. How did he build a service empire out of a need for clean shirts? I'm Kristen Livingston with Bentley University, and this is How I Made It. You know, I graduated in 96, so 92, 93 was really kind of the, the dawn of the, the internet. You know, you had laptops in your, in your room, and so we play around and, and got involved in the internet and, and doing stuff there. I ended up getting an internship at a computer consulting company and at the time the owner's like can you figure out how to get us on the internet and so uh mm -hmm. he found some clients one client wanted to sell horses online and so <laughs> uh this was you know early days of e-commerce i mean amazon yeah. wasn't around and ebay not and a none thing. of that stuff i mean you were dialing up on aol and yep. you know netscape browser just come around and that was kind of the big thing. And so we started building a, an e-commerce website where people could buy stuff online. And, you know, that internship and the experience I learned there, o along with school, was super valuable when I was coming out. You know, when mm -hmm. I came out, when I graduated, it was just every company was looking for people that had some Internet experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to get a job in the, the IMLP program from General Electric. Arik liked working for GE, but it was a big company, and he wanted to feel like he was making a personal difference. He headed to Vermont to work for a former GE colleague. The year was 2000, and the timing, he says, was good. 2000 was really kind of the peak of the dot-com days, mm -hmm. and I'd always wanted to move out to the West Coast. I grew up on the East Coast, went to school on the East Coast, and always wanted to be on the West Coast. And so at the time, it was great. You know, they were paying relocation bonuses and big salaries and a whole nine to get anybody out to, to, to the West Coast that had good internet experience. So that's what brought me to San Francisco. Um, about six months later, the dot-com crash happened, and everything just kind of went to hell. Um, oh, no. I mean, it was a, it, San Francisco today versus San Francisco in 2000. I mean, it was a mass exodus. It was crazy. Rents were going down. It was vacancies. It was nothing like you've seen today. Uh, it was actually great. I really enjoyed San Francisco during that time. <laughs> it um, was probably affordable. <laughs> yeah, it was very affordable, and you could drive around and park everywhere. Nothing like it is today. Mm -hmm. But it was hard to get jobs. I mean, everybody was getting laid off. It was it was crazy. He worked his way up to VP of Operations at a company in Santa Rosa, but was commuting two to three hours a day. It was a lot of time on the road, but also a lot of time in the car to dream up ideas. You know, I always told myself if I come up with a good idea, I'll give it a go. And it was the right time. I was like 25 and single. You know, my big problem was I could never get my laundry done. So you can imagine <laughs> I was leaving the house at six in the morning, getting home at seven o'clock at night. And literally, like, I just have piles of laundry. And, I, you know, was the weekends were, were spent doing laundry and dry cleaning wasn't even an option, even though there was literally a dry cleaner in my apartment building. So I worked out a deal with her. I was like, can I just leave it in front of my door and you'll come pick it up and put it back, et cetera. So, uh, so I came up with this concept. I was like, if I had a locker in my building, this would be great. I could just drop it off in the locker. She'll pick it up, put it back in the locker, and I'll have my, my clean clothes. And so I was like, that's a good idea. Somebody's got to be doing that. And so I searched high and low. And, you know, this was when Internet was pervasive. It was in everybody's house now. Mm -hmm. The um, Palm Trio really had come out, and that was sort of one of the first devices where you could browse the Internet from, from your um, cell phone. 
And so, uh, you know, that's how Laundry Locker was born. I came, came up with this idea and said, that's a good idea. Nobody's doing it. Let me give it a, a try. Yeah. And it really was the perfect timing. I mean, San Francisco had really high adoption of Internet in people's homes. Uh, a lot of Palm Trios and a lot of mobile devices out there. And we really needed that Palm Trio so real time we could check in the orders when we're out there in mm-hmm. the field and, um, you know, combine sort of that offline presence with that online presence. And about three years grew to become the largest dry cleaner in San Francisco. So it really took off. Did you have an investor or did you just use your capital? Uh, so I started um, with my own money. You know, I'd, I didn't have much, uh, but I... The company I was working with was great. It was a small company, about $20 million, maybe, um, you know, 50 employees. And so I met with the CEO and said, listen, I've got this idea. I want to start my own company. And she was super supportive of it and uh, gave me, you know, I gave her like six months notice. And so mm-hmm. from that six months when I decided I was going to do it to when I launched the company, I literally saved every single penny. So you just wow. go into, you know, hoarder mode and every every dollar you can you can save you do i think i saved up like twenty five thirty thousand dollars i got a tax return i sold my car wow um and uh you know went all in on on this thing started i found a supplier down in uh, la who made lockers i would rent a, a rider truck and drive all the way down there pick it up fill it up fill up my apartment with lockers <laughs> like <laughs> how you big could, are these lockers oh like a truckload worth of lockers <laughs> yeah you couldn't even move around the apartment it was pretty pretty hysterical I kind of gave up my entire social life and and went all in on this thing and said, I'm going to give it a go. Uh, So, yeah, it was fun. And so walk me through it. You you were going and picking up lockers in a truck and then just bringing them to locations and installing them and then... That was it, and then programming programming them in so people knew the locations. Yeah, so you know, I'd I'd go pick up a truckload of lockers, and a lot of times I'd pre-sell the the building. So you know, I'd go on Craigslist and look for apartments for rent, and I'd call those apartments, and hopefully I was talking to the property manager or owner or something like that, and I'd pitch them on Laundry Locker and say, "Listen, it's no cost to you. Can we put these lockers in? It's a great amenity." Yeah. Uh, we in, in the early days we were even sharing some revenue with them. And so they said, well, we've got nothing to lose. And this is, you know, now amenities and apartment buildings is a much bigger thing than it was back then. But even Mm -hmm. then, it resonated quite a bit. So I'd get a truckload from L.A. into San Francisco. I had to store them somewhere. Then I'd rent a van and go and place them myself. And in the morning, I would would go and pick up the laundry, bring it to my dry cleaner. They would clean it. Uh, And in the afternoon, they'd give it back to me. I'd run around and make the deliveries back to the lockers. And then at night, I'd sit in the apartment buildings talking to everybody that was coming by (laughs) to try to pitch them on this. The service, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty roll up your sleeves grassroots to get it started. Uh, you had asked earlier about investment. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd started with my own money um, fairly quickly, about six months ran out of that. So then I hit up a couple friends and family and probably raised another like 50 grand of, of money That's great. from them and on loans. And I was like, hey, can you just give me a loan? I'll pay you back one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, and I always knew that. If it didn't work out, I could go get a job and one day pay him back. And then we raised our first kind of real round. It was about $250,000 about two years in, Mm -hmm. uh, which was from... how many lockers were you up to at this point? Oh, boy. We probably had... We had close to 100 locations at that point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we were starting to get some traction. You know, buildings were really interested in it. People were starting to use it. I don't think we were making any money, but, um, you know, it was definitely starting to, to grab hold. So that let us get a an office space. I wasn't working out of my apartment anymore and, uh, you know, hire a couple employees. So I had a driver, so I didn't have to drive anymore and I could focus <laughs> on, on starting to build the business. 
Uh, and it was a it was a crazy journey. I'd say fun looking back at it. I don't think during the time it was super fun, but you know it was hard work, and um, just growing it step by step to 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 build it up to something. Uh, so we had built some pretty powerful software to run Laundry Locker. And there was nothing out there like it. Like I was forced to build the software because nothing existed. And other people would start hearing about Laundry Locker. I mean, we became fairly well known in the, in the dry cleaning space because we were kind of the only innovation that had come around in 100 years. Um, and so, you know, a lot of dry cleaners, a lot of entrepreneurs were really interested in doing what we did and bring it to their market. So we looked at franchising. We looked at doing it ourselves. But we realized that the, the software we had built would enable anybody that had the experience or, or the wherewithal um, to go do it, give them the platform to build it. So that's how DropLocker was born. And we started licensing that, that out. And that's how we, you know, we're in about 75 different markets right now, about 15 different countries, probably like 20 different countries. Wow. Um, so if you've seen dry lock, lockers in an apartment building for dry cleaning, they're most likely running our platform. We kind of have some patents on it and really have the dominant share of the marketplace when it comes to locker-based dry cleaning. It was very well known in the industry. I think it changed the industry. I think that's what I you know, have found sort of my, my calling to be is, is using technology and business experience to you know, try to change the market. And I love what, what we did at Laundry Locker. I think it was so inspiring to our employees. It's inspiring to the entrepreneurs. Uh, that's probably one of the more rewarding things is all these folks have built, you know, successful businesses based on the same platform that that I invented. Um, so, yeah, it makes me proud. It's 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 fun. Um, gives me a lot of purpose. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Did you know you were an entrepreneur when you were driving down to L.A. to pick up some lockers? Well, at that time I did. I mean, you know, now I think entrepreneurship is very celebrated and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. I never really had like this burning desire to be an entrepreneur. I I enjoyed my job at General Electric. I loved working at PNI. Um, I had no problem working for someone and, and being successful at that. Um, but you know, kind of said, "Hey, I want to give it a go one time." And it, for me, a lot of it was just proving to myself that you know I could do it. Um, I think when you're at a company, you don't. It's easy to to hide or, you know, you have a specific role. Whereas when you're running a, your own company, there's, there's no hiding. You know, you look at the numbers every day and, that, and that's how you did. You might think Arik had had enough of laundry after founding two companies, but just wait. So Dropwalker was doing great. That was the software company. And we, you know, like I said, like 75 different markets. And what would happen is all these entrepreneurs who were out there selling these lockers to apartment buildings or placing these lockers in apartment buildings for dry cleaning were coming to me and saying, Arik, like, this is great. You know, we're able to sell these dry cleaning lockers, but everybody has this massive package problem and they want to use our lockers for packages. You know, they used to get four or five packages a day. Now they're getting 50 or 100 packages a day and they yep. need a way to manage this. Can we use the lockers for that? Mm -hmm. So I'd ideated and kind of created some lockers for packages and, um, and then through that progression, um, worked and, and built this electronic package locker system. Luxor One was born. But the challenging part was how do we come up with a business model? And mm -hmm. so I kept struggling with, you know, who's going to buy these things? How are we going to pay for it? Um, and, you know, we settled on, listen, this is going to save the carriers, the UPS, the FedEx, is a ton of money. 
we can give them access to apartment buildings that are really hard for them to get into. We can give them guaranteed first delivery. This is something that makes a ton of sense for them. They're going to want to partner with us. And so I probably spent the first two years really working on that business model and trying to get a, uh, the carriers to revenue share, in essence, share in the cost savings with us to get us to deploy lockers. And that's been successful in other parts of the world, but we really couldn't get that breakthrough in the U.S. I mean, the carriers are just so massive and trying to get them to embrace a new technology uh, like this was, was challenging. And concurrently, at the same time, there was a couple other people that sort of saw a similar market opportunity and had relationships in the space. Arik decided to sell lockers directly to apartment buildings with a brilliant ROI. Most of the people who lived in those apartment buildings worked in other buildings that also had packages piling up near the mailbox, especially retailers. Luxor One is now in over a thousand retail locations, so that's three, count them, three locker companies in 10 years. Laundry Locker, Drop Locker, and Luxor One. So where are all these companies now? You said you sold Laundry Locker. Yes, we sold Laundry Locker uh, last year to Mulberries, who's you know now the largest dry cleaner in, in San Francisco. They were a Minneapolis-based company. Um, Drop Locker is still around. I still have you know a, a good ownership piece of that. And then Luxor One we sold at the end of last year as well um, to a company called Asa Aboy out of Sweden. Uh, the, they're the global leader in uh, access control and door opening solutions. So how did it feel to kind of let these companies go? You know, you had started so scrappy getting yeah. this off the ground. How did it feel to naturally just gain employees, let duties go, let responsibility go, sell? You know, there are different scenarios. So Laundry Locker, we sold that really just because we, I couldn't uh, give it much attention. And it was, there was a lot of um, uncertainty and primarily around CEO and, and somebody running the place. And so my biggest fear was if I lose my management there, the company is just going to go under because I can't give it any resources. I have to focus on Locker One. So getting rid of Laundry Locker was sad because it was sort of my baby and it's actually yeah. the engine that helps us sell Laundry Locker or Drop Locker because, uh, you know, it would help us develop our software. Most software companies don't have a real customer that they own that, that that's implementing their software. Luxor One, you know, we didn't go into the process trying to sell the company. We were trying to raise money. We had grown the company to almost $40 million in about five years. And um, and we had all done that. It was profitable. We raised 250000 Well, not even raised. Laundry Locker put $250,000 into it. And we paid that back in six months. So it was a cash flow positive business growing at warp speeds. Um, and we, when we landed that big retail client, their payment terms were very different than the way that we had worked with everybody else. So it really put some real cash constraints on our company. And so we went out to try to raise funding. And during that process, had several companies that were interested in acquiring us as opposed to, you know, just giving us money. And so the way I looked at it is, you know, if we're going out there, we're going to raise venture capital. Um, you know, we're going to sell 25% of the company for 10 million bucks, and then we're going to have to be a $100 million company to be able to sell this thing um, at the same rate where we could have sold it today um, at $40 million. And so, um, you know, it worked out really well. We never had any venture capitalists. And it kind of goes back to the beginning, right, when you talk about how did I start the company. It was loans from my friends and family, some investors who I've been with for 15 years. 
And that was probably the most rewarding piece about selling the company um, and even raising money from those folks. It was always really scary to take money from my friends and family because I knew, A, I personally was on the hook to pay it back to them, uh, you know, worst case scenario. But I always said to him, listen, you know, you're putting this money in. There's a good chance this is never going to turn into anything. And, and they believed in me, which was incredible. So for them to be able to get really large checks, just completely unexpected, um, you know, was was life changing for some of them and definitely the most rewarding piece that and, you know, paying out the employees and, and the people that helped us grow the company to what it was, uh, was really fantastic, something I never really expected. So I was looking at your LinkedIn and someone wrote best boss ever. Really? I haven't seen that one on my LinkedIn. I'll have to go check that out. Yeah. That's cool. So How'd you get to be like that? I mean, when you set out to do this, I'm sure you weren't thinking I'm going to be the CEO one day of all these different companies and sort of do you have any advice for entrepreneurs or people who are getting up to that level to be successful, to be the best boss ever? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm humbled by by that that statement. I never really consider myself a great boss. Um, I definitely lead by example. So, you know, I'm not afraid to go roll up my sleeves and install a locker or, or go deliver laundry. People see the passion. They see um, the problems we're solving. They see entrepreneurship living every day. And I think that's really inspiring for people. And, you know, it's how do you give them the autonomy to go out and succeed? Um, how do you believe in them? How do you how they believe that you believe in them and that, you know, you've got their best interests in mind? Um, but I want, you know, the people who are around me, my employees, the people who are committed to me um, to succeed as well. And so now it's around how do I help them kind of do a little bit what I did. Uh, I think that's sort of what inspires me now. Best boss ever. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. How I Made It is produced by me, Kristen Livingston, for Bentley University. Special thanks to Isabel Bader, Caroline Cruz, Jenna Floster, Molly McKinnon, Terry Cronin, and Pauline Carpenter, without whom this podcast just wouldn't exist. To hear more episodes, go to bentley.edu slash howimadeit. And to share your story of making it, send us a note at howimadeit at bentley.edu. And if you're in the Bay Area, check out laundrylocker.com for dry cleaning on the go. We'll see you next time. I'd like to probably not have to work 80 hours a week anymore and, and back off a little bit. I'm still like, it's so ingrained in my mind that, you know, I'm still at work at 7 a.m. every day and, and leave at 6 p.m. And, you know, I'm still work my butt off. But, um, you know, I'm trying to pair that back a little bit.